Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Last year, a story went viral about a man named Shoji Morimoto, who is a professional friend. Uh, Yep, you heard that right. He is a professional friend, and over the past four years, he has been booked over 4,000 times. And he's had meals with people, he's played board games, he's gone on walks. Uh, One time he went to a park to do a seesaw with someone. Uh, He's even waved through a train window at a complete stranger because they wanted a send-off. And people hire Morimoto because, as they put it, they don't have friends to do these things with. The story is kind of heartbreaking, but the saddest detail about Morimoto's job is that he has one customer that has hired him 270 times, right? 270 times over the past four years. And while this might sound sad or even maybe a little crazy or a little desperate or whatever, it kind of makes sense that someone could get paid to be a friend. Because right now, one in two adults report feeling lonely, right? 50%. Half of the people in this room, if they were being honest, would say they understand loneliness. I read about the topic of loneliness and community all the time because it's fascinating to me how society is just now figuring out how God was right when he said it isn't good for us to be alone. It took about 5,000 years for us to agree with something that's on page two of the Bible. But one of the articles I read recently was from the Surgeon General, who's the leading spokesperson on matters of public health in the US. And he made this announcement back in May of this year. He said, the epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. He calls loneliness an epidemic. This is a public health crisis right now. One of the articles I read about this announcement, it pointed out how we're seeing a rise in loneliness while also seeing a decline in the church. And the author of the article said, we can't confirm this, but there seems to be a correlation between the two. And I thought, what do you mean we can't confirm this? Of course we can. People are stepping away from the church in alarming rates, and what they don't realize is that one of the consequences is that they're stepping out of community and stepping into loneliness and all the things that come with that. These two things are absolutely connected. Now, I believe that the church is the answer to the deep longing that we have in our souls to be connected. The word church, when you break it down, means community. It means assembly. It means coming together. And think about this. You don't need the church to hear a sermon. You could listen to a sermon on podcasts. You could check out a sermon on YouTube. You don't really need the church to worship. There's Spotify, there's Christian concerts, there's you alone in your car. You don't need the church to be generous with your time or money. You can give to organizations without ever leaving your home. You can serve locally at those organizations. But we do need the church for two things. One is to be a part of a mission that's bigger than ourselves, and two is to be connected in community because it's not good to be alone. And so this Find Your Crew series that we've been in has been this challenge for us to step out of the crowd and to step into community, ultimately to step out of loneliness. 
And this week, our fall collectives kick off. And over the past few Sundays, we've been encouraging you to check a box to join a small group. And over 130 of you have taken the next step to join a small group. And we are excited for the community that you are about to build this fall. If you've been hesitant and haven't jumped into one yet, you still can. In fact, you can through the whole fall semester. We don't ever close groups. But we encourage you to check the Join Collective box on your connection card or head to Next Steps after service. We have groups that meet on multiple nights of the week. We have a group that meets at 8.30. We even have a group for young adults that's for 20-year-olds. I joked about this a few weeks ago. If you're 30, I'm going to repeat this. You're not young anymore, okay? (laughs) So it's for 20-year-olds. If you're like 29 and you're like sneaking into the group, we'll let that pass, okay? You're 34, it's not it, okay? There's other groups for you to join. And I understand that if you're new to Collective, you might be hesitant to lean into community here because you still have some questions. There's still parts of this church that you're trying to figure out. And if that is you, what we want you to do is we want you to sign up for Starting Point. Starting Point uh, is a type of collective. We call it a pop-up collective. This will meet on Monday nights starting September 25th. This group is four weeks long. It's led by the staff. And it's all about sharing the history of Collective. It's about sharing our values as a church and and trying to encourage you to be a part of this community. It's a great way to meet other new people who are trying to figure out their place in this church as well. And it's a really good place to ask questions. You want to know how Collective got started. You want to know why we picked the name Collective and what the logo means. You want to know why we do cover songs and do ice cream floats in the parking lot sometimes. Come to Starting Point. It's a great group to connect with other people in a really subtle and soft way. So you're not going all the way in on joining one of our weekly small groups. Now to sign up, you can do that through the Church Center app. You go through that, you click coming up, and then hit on the starting point pop-up link. If you don't want to go through that whole process, just head to Next Steps after service because they would love to get you connected to this group. Now over the past few weeks, I've had a lot of people come up to me and ask me some really good questions about finding their crew. And I'm going to answer those before we read today's crew story. And the first thing is this, uh, your kids are not your crew. I'm going to say that again, your kids are not your crew. A lot of people will look at their family and say, these are the three to five people who I spend the most time with, therefore they are my crew. And they're talking about their children. But that is not how this works. Parents, your kids are not your friends. Uh, Some of you feel right now like your kids are your enemies. They're also not your enemies. (laughs) Unless they're teenagers, you gotta watch out. But parents, your kids are not your friends. Teenagers, your parents are not your friends. They're not, they're your parents. Their number one job is to keep you alive. It is not to be socially close to you. Right? Their job is to help you grow into healthy, life-giving, productive members of society, hopefully ones who follow Jesus and love Jesus as well. And parents, if you lead your kids well, one day when they are adults, they can start to feel like friends, and that's a good thing. But for now, your kids are not your crew. They are not the ones who should be sitting with you in your pain, like Job's friends that we talked about last week. They aren't the ones who should be holding you accountable when you start stepping out of alignment. They aren't the ones who you should be going to when you're struggling with things like work or your marriage or your finances or your mental health, because those things are too much for your kids to carry. And to be honest, some of you adults are in this room struggling with life because your parents treated you like a friend when you were growing up, and you're wrestling through a lot of that baggage right now. Parents, you have to have friendships, and your kids cannot fill that cup. Kids, you have to have friendships, and your parents cannot fill that cup. I've also had a lot of people ask me, is my spouse in my crew? And the short answer to this is no. 
I'm gonna explain that for a second. Some of you are like, you're right, they're not my crew. That's a whole other problem. Like that's a marriage series that you need to be a part of. So let me, let me explain this though. Your spouse should absolutely be the person that you are closest to. Right? They should be your best friend. They should be the person you are the most intimate with emotionally, spiritually, and physically. They should be the person that you are the most vulnerable with. You should have the same values, the same foundations, the same goals. But your spouse isn't crew because they are more important than that. In the same way that God isn't in your crew because God is more important than that. Right? Some of you are sitting in this space and you're like, I've got my crew. It's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God. It doesn't work that way. Okay, I'm not a big fan of the Jesus is my friend language. I think that's super lame. Because the thing is, it's just different. It's just closer than that. It's a tighter circle than that, right? And so in a little bit, we're gonna put these circles back up on the screen. You're gonna see that three to five is your crew, but just imagine there's one even tighter than that. Right? That's your relationship with God, but more importantly, it's your relationship with your spouse. The Bible describes this as being one. Right? You should be so close to the spouse that you are one, but you still need friends. And I know this is a, it's hard because a lot of people have decided that their crew is their spouse and that's it. But when you don't have close friendships outside of the relationship you have with your husband or your wife, you put way too much pressure on them to be everything that you need relationally. But your spouse cannot be everything you need. So married people, you still need a crew. When we talk about finding your crew or talking about our friends to do life with, Friends who know you inside and out, who know your insecurities and your doubts, who pick you up when you fall, who push you to have the best faith and the best marriage, the, the highest integrity, the most self-worth as possible. Right? We are designed to have a crew. We need a crew. And here's one of the reasons why. Last week, we talked about a guy named Job and his crew. Today, we're gonna jump into the New Testament. This comes from Luke 5 in the Bible, starting in verse 17. It says this. One day, while Jesus was teaching... Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Now, throughout the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read that wherever Jesus went, he drew a crowd. Right? People would come from all over, different cities and different towns, just to hear him preach and teach because he was a big deal. And that's what's happening in this story. It continues in verse 18, it says, and some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. And so the story is about friends who are bringing their friend who is paralyzed to Jesus, right? And somehow in the pre-text message, pre-social media days, they caught wind that Jesus was in town and they knew that this was their moment. And that's not because they wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus because he was some type of celebrity or something, but it's because they had a friend who needed help. They had a friend who had been paralyzed, and these guys had heard a rumor that Jesus could heal people. And so they carried him all the way to the house. The story continues. It says, they tried to make it inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And so you just imagine that this house is so packed that they cannot get their friend to Jesus. And this is the part of the story. If you stopped at this point, you'd say, at least they tried. Right, they carried their friends. That must have been hard. Like, we don't know how long of a distance it was, but any distance would have been tough for them. Right, they want what's best for their friend. They believe that maybe Jesus can heal him, but the house is full. And the thing is, the effort that these guys put into getting their friend help is more than what a lot of friends would do. It is. And for many people, and maybe this is you, they have friends who wouldn't even have tried because their life is just too busy. Or maybe their friends have too many other problems and burdens to deal with on their own. 
Or really, it's because there are friendships that they're in because there's something that they feel like they can gain rather than something that they can give to those friendships. Or a lot of people have friends that if they heard that Jesus was coming to town and they knew that the house was going to be packed, they wouldn't even have carried their friend there in the first place. And I believe that our bar for friendship is so low that when we hear this story, when we stop at this point, we think those are some good friends because at least they tried. But, but here's what's the, the best part about this story. They don't give up. The house is full. There's a crowd of people standing outside. It's multiple rows deep. So here's what they do. They went up to the roof and took off some tiles. They climb up to the roof and they start ripping it apart. Like, how great is that? I don't know about you, but these are the types of people I want in my crew. House is too full? No problem. We're going to destroy this thing, right? They're going to do what it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus. But here's the thing, and don't miss this. They didn't know if Jesus could actually heal their friend. I mean, they'd heard some rumors that he could, but they didn't see it with their own eyes. And, and what if Jesus wasn't the son of God? What if he was just a good teacher? What if he was just a liar? But for them, it was worth the risk. It was, it was worth the effort and the time and the potential failure to get their friend in front of Jesus. But it was a good risk to take. The story continues. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Right? And so Jesus sees this paralyzed man and immediately forgives him of his, of his sin. Right? He heals him spiritually. And this is really important because the best thing that Jesus can offer us is forgiveness of our sins. The best thing that Jesus can offer us is grace. Right? Grace means that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. The way we talk about it here at Collectives, we say that grace is endless second chances. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. And that is what Jesus gives this man. And if that is all that Jesus offered him, that would have been enough. Because Jesus says, my grace is all you need. And the thing is, that is true for us as well. His grace is all we need. The best thing that Jesus offers us is grace and forgiveness of our sins. And that's why every week we encourage people, if you want to accept that grace, it's to check the baptism box. Baptism means to be immersed in water. It symbolizes our own death, burial, and resurrection. It's the putting to death our old lives. It's being raised into the new life that Jesus has for us. Right? It's Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. And just like this story, the only thing that Jesus requires for forgiveness is faith. It's trusting that Jesus is the Son of God who came to rescue us from our sins and putting your faith in him. And so Jesus heals him spiritually. He forgives him of his sins, and that's more than enough. But it does get better for him. Story continues. It says, Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. And so Jesus heals him physically as well. He didn't have to, but he did. And if you read the rest of the story, it says that Jesus did this to prove to everybody there that he is the son of God, that he actually has the power to forgive sins. And if you want an example of why you need a crew, I think it's this story. Right? These guys did everything they could so their friend could be healed, both spiritually and physically. But here's my favorite part of the story. Let's read verse 20 again. It says this. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Do you know what I think the most important word is in this verse? There. 
Right, read this again with me. It says, seeing their faith, not his faith, not his parents' faith that he tried to bestow on him, their faith. And if you've been taking notes in this series, here's the next thing I want you to write down. Your crew should point you toward Jesus. Your crew will either bring you closer to Jesus or farther away from Jesus. So which direction are you heading in? Let me ask it like this. First service didn't like this question too much, so we'll see how this goes. If your salvation was based on your friend's faith, are you going to heaven? Jesus saw their faith. If your salvation was based on the crew that you have, are you going to heaven? And just to be really clear about this, salvation doesn't actually work this way. No one else can save us. Your crew can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith, our faith. But we still have to wrestle with this question. If my salvation was based on the faith of the three to five people that I spend the most time with, am I going to heaven? Would I have a strong faith? Would I have a real and active faith? Here's a, a less intense way of asking this. Do I have the types of friends who would wreck the roof for me and bring me to Jesus when I needed it the most? Because if this story teaches us anything, it's that our crew impacts our faith. And the opposite of that is true as well. Your crew's lack of faith will impact your faith. And this is why I believe if you are a follower of Jesus, your three to five closest friendships should be with other followers of Jesus. I do. You can disagree with me, but, but hear me out on that. Let's put the circles back up on the screen. So this is what we've been using over, over this series to learn what does it look like to have a real community. This is the way that Jesus lived his life. Uh, and, and the numbers up there, just to remind you, are the amount of hours it takes for people to move into different circles of these friendships. Right? And what we've learned through Jesus and also sociologists and psychologists is that the more time you spend with somebody, the closer you are to them. So let's talk about the second circle, the community, for a second. This is the 15, 10, 15 to 50 people that you spend regular, intentional time with. I think that your community should be full of people who love and follow Jesus as well as people who don't, right? because you need to have healthy Christian community while also trying to show other people what healthy Christian community and grace and hope and endless second chances look like. And so what I'm not saying is that all the people that you spend your time with should be Christians. In fact, if you are only in community with Christian people, you should intentionally find a community that doesn't follow Jesus so you can share the good news of Jesus with them. Right? That's the something bigger than ourselves that I mentioned earlier. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called by God to seek and save lost people. And you cannot do that if you are only around Christians. What I am saying, though, unapologetically, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, your crew, your three to five people that you are spending 200 plus hours with should be people who always point you toward Jesus. Better yet, they should be people who physically bring you to Jesus when you're unwilling or you can't bring yourself. And and here's why. If you don't have the same values that you are spending most of Uh, same values as the people that you are spending most of your time with, if you don't have the same foundation, if you are not rooted in God's truth, where are they going to carry you? What are they going to point you toward when your marriage is struggling? Are they going to point you toward scripture, toward forgiveness, toward healing and restoration through Jesus? Or are they going to tell you to walk out? Because I've seen that before. I've sat down with people whose marriages are getting crushed 
and their friends have told them to just give up and not even try to fight for their marriage. I've sat down with people who have had friends who told them that it was okay that they had an affair because they didn't feel like they were getting the attention they wanted at home. Or friends who have told them that an addiction to pornography is okay and doesn't actually have an impact on the marriage. What foundation is that rooted in? Not Jesus, not scripture, right? And, and maybe healing the marriage isn't possible, but your crew should be the people who are willing to fight with you, who are willing to read scripture with you and remind you of what God requires of us in marriage. Your crew should be people who will pray with you, right? Not just for you before they go to bed at night, but sit down in your living room and pray bold prayers with you for you and your marriage. Your crew should be people who will walk alongside you as you at least try to heal and restore and grow your marriage, understanding that it will be incredibly messy and very painful and it might not work. Because if they're not pointing you toward Jesus, what are they pointing you toward? When you're struggling with doubts, when you're battling mental health, when you're feeling the temptation of sleeping together before marriage or breaking sobriety or staying in that shadow of your sin that you just don't want to deal with, what do you want your crew to be rooted in? Scripture or culture, Jesus or their feelings, their faith in God or their faith in themselves. Because the thing is, we're all rooted in something. And if your crew isn't rooted in Jesus and his teaching, what are they going to point you toward when life gets hard? But not just when life gets hard. What are they going to point you toward when you're trying to figure out if you should take the promotion or date that guy or have kids or make that move? Let me push this a little further. It's not just that your crew should believe in God. Over 81% of people say that they believe in God. Scripture says even the demons believe. Your crew should have a living and active faith because remember, you end up like the five people that you are spending most of your time with. And someone who says they believe, someone who calls themselves a Christian and someone who follows Jesus are two very different things. Right? And so I know you're asking yourself, Michael, are you saying that my crew should be people who serve and give and pray and read their Bible and all that stuff? I am. I am unapologetically, if that is what you want. Now, if you don't want that in your life, don't pursue that. If you personally want to have a lukewarm faith, find lukewarm friends. If you personally want to have a marriage that's rooted in culture, find friends that are rooted in culture. If you want to have mental health that has a foundation of victimhood instead of healing, find friends who won't go to therapy. Find friends who won't read scripture. Find friends who won't do anything to actually heal some of the issues that they're dealing with with their mental health. If you want to be selfish with your time and your money and your vulnerability, find people who are selfish. But if you want to be a forgiving, grace-filled person, spend time with people who know that grace only comes from God. If you want to be a generous, selfless, caring person, spend time with people who live a life that looks like Jesus's. If you want to heal, Spend time with people who know that true healing only comes from Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers and pushes us toward. And here's another thing about your crew pointing you toward Jesus. Pointing you toward Jesus also means that they hold you accountable. It means that we need to have a crew who is willing to have hard conversations with us when we are off track. Did any of you uh, see this picture this week on the news and social media? It's happened like just a few days ago. Uh, if you want to learn more, just Google bold Nebraska car. It's, it's all there. But just a few days ago, a man in Nebraska was pulled over because he was driving down the highway with a full-size bull riding shotgun in his 1996 Crown Vic. The bull's name is Howdy Doody, 
and which is like the best part, I think. Uh, and it weighs 2,200 pounds. And apparently while he was driving down the hall, hi- highway, someone called the cops and the owner was pulled over and he received a ton of tickets. But my favorite part of the story is he was interviewed and he said that he'd never gotten any type of DMV or police approval because he didn't think it would be an issue. <laughs> this is why you need a crew, okay? <laughs> you need people in your life that are like, hey, what are you doing to your car? That's a terrible idea. Maybe don't retrofit your sedan to carry a bull 60 miles per hour down a highway. Right? We have to have people that are in our life that will tell us, hey, what you are doing is dumb. Right? That is unwise. That's destructive. But more importantly, we need to have a crew that will tell us, you are walking outside of what God wants for your life. I love the song our band covered earlier by Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, because one of the last lines of the song says, you got to find your people that tell you the truth, then wish you well. Right? And again, it's not their truth. Right? It's not your truth. It's truth that's rooted in God and Scripture. Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Do you, want, do you know whether someone is your crew or not? It's, it's, this, it's this verse. Like if you were wrestling with that, your crew holds you accountable. They do not tell you what you want to hear because they are afraid to hurt your feelings. They tell you what you need to hear, which again is why faith matters so much. Like fake friends will tell you that your sin isn't sin. Fake friends will tell you that you don't need to forgive. Fake friends will tell you to rely on your own understanding instead of God's. Fake friends will tell you to seek out comfort in material things, things other than God. Your crew should share hard things with you that will sting. This scripture says that in that moment, it feels like a wound. But once you step out of the pain of their accountability, you will realize that it's because they want what's best for you. Right? We have this tendency to just surround ourselves with people who are yes men. Right? Ultimately, people who justify our behavior, who don't push back, who can't have hard conversations with us even when we need them. And that is not crew. Right? If your crew is cool with your sin, they are not your crew. If your crew does not challenge you to grow in your faith, they are not crew. If your crew creates opportunities to remove you from this community that you are a part of, they are not crew. And your real friends will hold you accountable. As I get older, uh, I realize just how lucky I've been in my life when it comes to having a crew. When I was in high school and I found out about my dad's affair and watched as my parents' marriage fell apart, I had friends who carried me to Jesus. At that point, I was in late high school, uh, very involved in church. I was serving, I was leading, uh, and I bailed on all of it. I stopped going to youth group. I stopped serving. I stopped showing up at church. And one Sunday, my three closest friends at the time got a hold of my mom, uh, and she unlocked the front door, and they came into my house, and they physically carried me down the stairs, kicking and screaming, because I was done. And they looked like they kidnapped me, but they threw me in the car, and we sat, and we went to church together. After church, we sat, and we hung out, and they reminded me that I'm loved by my heavenly father because I was struggling a lot to feel loved by my own father. They challenged me to forgive and not hold on to bitterness. I didn't do a good job with that. They helped me understand that God was still with me even though I felt all alone. But more importantly, they called me out for not keeping my faith a priority when things got hard. When I got fired about 10 years ago from a church uh, because I have issues with authority, 
I walked away and had given up on ministry. But my crew were the ones who told me to go to church next Sunday, even though I didn't have a church home, to find one and not sacrifice my faith. My crew were the ones who called me every single week to make sure I wasn't isolating in my pain, which is my tendency when I'm unhealthy. My crew made sure that I didn't let one bad church experience stop me from trusting God and the calling that he had burdened my life with to plant a church. And a few years ago, when I was at my emotional and mental lowest in the spring of 2021 and was feeling just completely burnt out on life, especially burnt out on ministry and leading a church, it was one of the guys from my crew who agreed to fly to Texas with me so I could do some soul work. He went through the crucible men's retreat with me. He did that soul work right alongside me. Your crew should always point you toward Jesus. So let me ask the question again that I asked earlier. Do you have the types of people who would wreck the roof for you and bring you to Jesus when you need it the most? Are the people that you spend the most time with doing that? And if you don't have these types of friends, what are you going to do about it? Because for the last three weeks and for one more week next week, we are pushing you to step out of a crowd, to step out of loneliness, to step out of isolation and into community but that is your choice, right? I can't make you do anything. I cannot make you find your crew. I cannot make you choose vulnerability. I cannot make you grow in your faith. You have to want that. The thing is, there is going to be a time in your life when you need a crew to bring you to the feet of Jesus because you can't bring yourself. Do you have that? I guess more importantly, do you want that? Because speaking from my own life experiences, I do not know where I would be if I did not have these types of friends. The beautiful thing about this story, their friends bring him to Jesus. They rip open the roof, and then they lower the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. God, as we continue to wrestle with this idea of crew, God, it puts us in this really tough spot because we're designed to have these types of friendships. God, you created us this way, and so we have this innate desire to have a crew, but we also have fears. We also have insecurities. God, we also have baggage that we're carrying. We also have uh, this fear of vulnerability. And because of that, we kind of live in this space of how you designed us and choosing not to lean into that because of the threat of pain. And God, as we read these stories and we connect with these stories and we long to be parts of these types of communities, we have these walls that are put up. So God, I I pray as we continue to wrestle with this, as we continue to evaluate our circles, as we continue to evaluate our time, um, our own faith and how that plays out in these relationships, God, I, I pray that we take down some of these walls and we lean in to the community that you've designed for us. And God, I pray that in that community, we find our crew, the people that will carry us to your feet when we need it the most and we cannot carry ourselves. Because the thing is, God, there are times in our life where it's necessary. Maybe we feel that way right now. God, above everything, as we wrestle with this story, the number one thing that we are thankful for is your grace. God, it's your, your forgiveness and how this is a story about friends, but it's also a story about how desperately you want us to sit at your feet so you can say, you are forgiven. You are made new. So God, I pray that 
Um, we experience that, but more importantly, God, I pray that we have people in our life who point us toward that. God, we thank you and we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.